Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism people. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. And I'm very lucky to have my good friend, Ronnie, come back. She's been on a podcast previously. Um, Boy, that was right when the COVID started. Mm -hmm. Um, And you were helping us by giving us some strategies on de-escalation, which, by the way, thank you for that. Because you probably, I know you gave me some good feedback and things that I use with my kids. So you might honestly have saved their lives. So I hope um, so. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're just, you have all sorts of gems of knowledge. Um, so if you didn't listen to that podcast, no worries, it's still available. You can go back and watch it or listen to it rather. Um, but we're going to, we did talk at the end of that podcast about sibling spotlight. And as promised, we are recording this podcast um, to talk about our Isaac Foundation sibling spotlight. Um, so some of it is going to be about our specific program, but I also think that it's probably worth just talking a lot, like a little bit about just the struggles that siblings have when they have a special needs brother and sister. Um, because with my, if I'm being honest and I'm putting my Isaac Foundation hat on, I'll tell you that I've ran across a lot of families over the years that are like, oh, no, you know, all of my other kids, they're they're fine. You know, they don't have any issues whatsoever with having a brother or sister with autism. And I'm always like, I'm always like, I hope that's true. Mm-hmm. But in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I don't think it's true because, yeah. um, and so let's talk a little bit about why that is. I mean, you were a school teacher, so let's give a little bit about your background in case you missed that episode. Um, Ronnie gave us kind of her background, but, um, you are in education, but you've been working mm-hmm. with kids for a long time. Yes. So go ahead and yes. tell us about kind of how you got where you are today. Um, Wow. Okay. So I am a special ed teacher. I graduated from Eastern in 2008 and I've been with Spokane Public Schools um, during my career. Um, Prior to that, I worked at the Northeast Youth Center and the Arcus Spokane under the AmeriCorps project. So pretty much you've been working with people and children. Forever. forever Yeah. I was a Special Olympics volunteer in high school. Yeah. Um, a swim instructor for kids with disabilities when I was in junior high. Oh my gosh. See, and I, I'm even learning more about you. Even yeah. I thought I knew everything there was to know about you. <laughs> and yet there's still more. Yep. And the, the swimming stuff went so well that um, parents started asking me to take care of their kiddos so they could get a night away and go have some dinner and a movie and, and do the things so you were that. A respite you, worker exactly. But it didn't have that word or name. Sure. I just came over and hung out and played. Yeah. And that's all. And that's really what you do at Sibling Spotlight. So when I tell you that parents, I have parents tell me that, nope, their kids, their neurotypical kids are just fine. There are no issues. Like how, how, how does that, how do you feel about a statement like that? Do you think that it's could very possibly be true or in your experience with all your years of experience working with kids, do you feel like maybe that's maybe not as true as they may think? You know, I never speak in absolutes sure. ever, but I think I feel safe in saying I have, I have never, ever met a kid who has a brother or a sister with a disability that doesn't have concerns or worries or big stuff in their head or laying on their heart. Yeah. Um, I have, I've never, there's a unicorn maybe, probably out there. Yeah, maybe. I call them unicorns. But I have yet to meet them. Yeah. So why do you think these kids, and I truly believe that parents probably in their heart feel like everything is fine, mm-hmm. but why do you, and it's that the kids, these young people are not comfortable being honest with their parents. Why is that? Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it lack of honesty. Um, when parents are parenting a kiddo with a disability, it's a very big job. And the first people who see that in your life are your, are your children and your family members. And very often there is some guilt around um, complaining, what children view as complaining. Or even having needs. Right. Or um, just not wanting to put more on the parent's plate. Um and 
And while that, while I understand that, and I, and I know that to be true, it doesn't mean that there aren't concerns and worries and big stuff in their heads. Sure. Now, over the years, some of the things that part of the reason why I got concerned years ago, obviously, well, I, I say I have a litter of children because it feels like a litter of children. I mean, when you think about like cats and dogs, it practically is a litter. <laughs> um, but the thing that I found early on was, you know, when Isaac was little, Tyler was just 11 months younger than Isaac. And so for all intents and purposes, they were practically twins. Um, and I will tell you that um, the behaviors that we were dealing with, with uh, Tyler at this time, now keep in mind, they were like, you know, two and three. Um, Tyler's behaviors were much more, um, much bigger and more challenging to deal with than Isaac's behavior. Isaac just would withdraw and trying to get him to engage and, you know, like circles of, you know, communication and, you know, social interaction was really what we were working on with Tyler. It was aggression. You know, he's of all of my children. Um, the only child that has ever come this close to busting my nose with his forehead, you know, so he just had a lot of feelings, but again, he was two at the time. And so that was, um, in his mind, an appropriate way of getting my attention. You know, if Mm -hmm. I can't get the attention in a positive way, negative Mm -hmm. attention is just as good Mm -hmm. from his perspective. For sure. Yeah. Um, and so after Isaac passed away, you know, things kind of settled down with Tyler. Um, but then when Caleb entered the picture and it became kind of clear early on that we were going to have concerns, there was going to be, we were going to need to seek services for him. Um, it really, Tyler then became the kid where it's like, nope, I'm good. Nope. I don't need anything. Nope. I'm fine. He's the, Mm -hmm. nope, I'm fine kid. And, um, that's where I see a lot of our, these kids are, is the, nope, I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm good. I can handle it. Um, because again, you know, he no longer became, you know, an attention, you know, he wasn't doing behaviors to get attention. It was the, nope, I'm fine. Nope. You're, you know, good. Don't need anything. And so we had taken Tyler from the moment Isaac passed away. We always did counseling, um, for him because, you know, it's a, you know, it was a big hole in our life when Isaac left us. And, um, it was like, about every 18 months, he would have kind of what I would call just like a little flare up of like he needed some support in trying to kind of get to a new developmental place where he could cope with having lost his brother. And a lot of that was guilt. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he has what we call survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, when I think of Tyler and his brother, Caleb, Tyler then has guilt for just the, you know, things are easier for me. And so mm-hmm. I don't have the right to complain. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. So, and so that's what we saw. So we've always encouraged Tyler to see a counselor, but here's what we found. And this is part of the reason why Isaac and our sibling spotlight program kind of came about was there came a point where, you know, I can take Tyler to all the counselors in the world, but I can't make him talk about how he feels because he also mm-hmm. really felt like he was betraying me. And, um, you know, because he knew I was doing the best I can and he felt really like it was a betrayal to go to a counselor and basically talk about the fact that I sucked in any way, shape or form. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so that was really hard for me because I knew he was struggling and I knew he had big feelings, but he wasn't willing. He was the, I'm just going to shove it down, bottle it up, bottle it up. So, um, so when we started the sibling spotlight, one of the challenges is, is that again, you know, you can take kids to counseling, you can create a nice sibling support program. Um, but again, these kids get to an age, I think when they're young, they feel pretty comfortable sharing and talking and, and that's, you know, mm-hmm. by and large, that's what we've kind of found, but then they get to a certain age and then it's like, no, I'm supposed to be okay. You know, it's that expectation that you're just going to have to be okay. I just need you to be okay. Um, so that's part of the reason why I just felt like there was not a lot of um, really even counselors in Spokane that really could dial into special needs siblings and get them comfortable about venting. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was kind of where, you know, how Sibling Spotlight came about is, is that I really felt like one of the most underserved populations is the siblings because they just are programmed to not complain. And this is just life. And so this is mm-hmm. just our life and we have to deal with it. Um, so gosh, you were what three. So we, we tested out sibling spotlight, you know, just kind of did some pilots and then we finally, um, connected with you and it has totally ta- taken this program to a point where I'm really proud of it. Um, so in terms of, um, 
siblings, like we have a wide range, six to, mm-hmm. gosh, we've had 16 and 17 year olds in yes. our sibling spotlight program, which is a wide range. Um, and so I guess let's talk about things as, as the facilitator, because you are a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Um, what are things that you kind of see? Because I think, again, I kind of hinted to this earlier is, is that at each developmental place, kids are just at a different place, you know, at, we start getting the kids in our program starting at six because any younger than that, it's just that it's just hard and they don't really, um, they just want to play. And, um, so they have to be a little mature in the sense that, you know, there's, you know, we play and have a lot of fun, but they have to be able to talk about how they feel. Um, so when we're talking about our younger guys, what are the types of things that you kind of see and how they talk and how, um, some of their feelings manifest in terms of how you play. Do they, are they really open about it? Do they, most of them are fairly benign about um, sibling spotlight or how about having a brother or sister with a disability? Well, they're certainly all different. Sure. And you know, when they are, when they are little, um, they are open and they will talk about it very often. The, They'll mention, I have a brother, he has autism, he doesn't talk, you know, so it's just like bullet points. Yes. And, and, um, what's nice about sibling spotlight is that there's going to be another kid in the room who has that exact same experience. Yes. And so, you know, they will do more talking together, um, than we do as like a whole group. We do whole group things for certain, but it's more powerful when they're able to talk to other kids in the exact same situation. Every single year, Ronnie, I sit there when I kind of meet the kids and they all come together for the first time and they make these epiphany. I call these epiphany moments where when Mm -hmm. they're sharing and then you have another kid in the group. It's like, (gasps) me too. Yeah. Like to me, like the look on their face is just so like shocked that like, Oh my gosh, like there's a, like you have a connection, like you understand yeah. this. And, and, and it seems like every year there's not a year that goes by where you don't have that little look of surprise on their face when they realize mm-hmm. that the one thing they all in co- have in common is yes. that they have brothers. They all have brothers and sisters mm-hmm. that have autism or another diagnosis. And so, yeah. um, and what's funny about that is um, they probably encounter this have no, probably dozens of other kids that have, siblings that have something going on. But mm-hmm. again, it's not with a purpose, like planned intention like this, because you yeah. know, they probably have you no know, three kids on the playground, but they probably wouldn't necessarily know that they have, they, those other kids have siblings mm-hmm. because they're not like, you know, it's not their classroom. It's not, you know, something that they see every day. So it's, yeah. it's so interesting because, you know, so many of these kids, the circles, um, social circles connect, but they've never drawn the correlation that, Hey, we both have brothers. Mm-hmm. with autism. And so I think that's kind of an interesting thing too, is, is that, mm-hmm. um, it's not like you go around and you just announce it to every single person on the street. And so this is a really in, in intentional, like connection that they forge with each other. Yes. So, and I think that's yes. a lot of fun. So, um, so beyond that, then do you feel, so with the littler kids, um, how for a littler, little smaller kiddo, what would be a parent's Like if you have a kiddo that's like six, seven, eight, what's kind of the things that you might look for in terms of like, should we start pursuing something, some sort of support program for our young one who are neurotypical kiddo? Like what Mm -hmm. would be things that you would be like, you know, keep your eye out for? Because that's the other thing too, is I have parents that tell me, no, I don't think they're, I think they're fine. And they also are afraid that if they start putting them in a program with other kids, they're maybe they were fine, but now they're going to start saying, Hey, wait a minute. You're right. Now I should now, now that you mention it, like I have a reason to be upset about that too. Um, so, you know, let's talk about it kind of in both, both arenas. Number one, what would be things that, you know, should anyone and anyone be concerned or be looking for a sibling support program? Or are there things that you feel like, you know, if you, you know, that you should be kind of, looking out for that might indicate that your kiddo would benefit from a program? I think that all siblings would benefit from a program like this. You know, I, I truly do. Um, things to keep an eye out for. It, it might sound silly to us. It might sound silly to you. But if you ever notice that your, your typically developing child is um, starting to maybe 
voice um, frustration or just show in behavior about the multitude of appointments that a parent might be taking um, their kiddo with autism too. So let's say you've got PT and you've got OT and you've got speech and you're, you're in the car and you're going to groups and you're busy and that's work. That's work for that child as your sibling is just in the car as well and going from appointment to appointment. Um, I have kids who, who like to talk about, this is my time. This is my appointment. And, and they even, um, are grateful or, um, thoughtful that their family just as mom and brother day, mom and dad and sister day or whatever, while they are off doing their, their appointment. And I know that might sound silly, but to a seven-year-old brain, it's not. You're so true because Kelly used to say that this was the huge argument. Now, you know, all of my children, so you Mm -hmm. have the benefit of that. And so you're not going to be shocked when I tell you that there was a day where, um, Kelly freaked out in the car because she started actually doing things where she would want need crutches because, Oh, my ankle is so hurt that, you know, I need crutches and I need to have my ankle wrapped and, you know, Oh, my, I can't move my hand. It was things like that where she would just little tiny little things would require like a huge thing because exactly what you're saying, like all these appointments, 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 um, for Caleb, Tyler also was in, I was taking him to counseling because we were trying to stay on top of that. And so then she was having, she was manifesting injuries because that was her way of crying out for, Hey, I want something too. Right. And so Tyler one day in the car, as we were driving to one of their appointments, I can't remember if it was Caleb or Tyler's, um, Kelly freaks out in the back seat and she just starts crying about that. She needs a hospital. We should, you know, we need to stop at the nearest one. And, um, you know, she just says, you know, I just wish I had autism. So I got to do like doctor's appointments too. And then Tyler, you know, was just so, you know, this moment where he just turned around and he says, wait, hold on a second, Kelly. So you're sitting in the back seat complaining because like, we all have to go and do these things that suck and you don't get to do them. Like, so basically you're pissed because you're normal. Like, oh, wah. Right. But to her seven-year-old brain, it was very true. Oh, it was absolutely true. And here's the thing. Tyler so badly just wanted to have that normalcy of like, I don't want to have to go to counseling anymore. I don't want to have to do these things. Um, He just wants to have a normal brother so that we don't have to go to counsel because he knows that life is hard. When you have autism, the world misunderstands you. And then there's his little sister in the backseat complaining (laughs) because she doesn't get any of it. He says, so what you're complaining about is you're normal. And like, that's what your biggest complaint in this world is. And she was like, yeah. And they both had valid points because when you're on the one end of it, you just like, I hate all this. I want to quit it. Um, we keep forging on because as parents, you know, like all of that has a benefit and we're hoping that it's going to prove to be beneficial. But yet my heart broke for Kelly because she was a thousand percent justified in her feelings of wanting something, you know? And so I think that's a really good point. So we ended up having the manifestation of like ankle injuries and sprained Mm -hmm. wrists. And, um, and, and so I think those are all really valid points. When we start talking about our mid-range kids, those mm-hmm. what, what would you consider a mid-age for our program? I would say like 8 to 11, do you think? 9 to 12? What would you say kind of our mid-range is? Because it's kind of a different about, place. Where they're, uh, about 9 to 13. 13. They are starting to be more social outside the home or wanting that. Yeah. Whether or not they they are having that in their life, that's when they start to want it. They um, are wanting friends to come over and it's not always fun to come home. If you, if you have an aggressive sibling, um, or you have one that might pop out of the bathroom with not a stitch of clothing on because that's super awkward. Mm -hmm. So when you're, when they, when they hit that age and maybe they start joining teams and they start making friends, um, it's going to be important to them that they have a way to hang out with those people you know, in a social way, not just a practice way. Um, and there were the little worlds just start getting bigger and they start noticing more and more and they begin to have more questions. And often the questions that they want to ask, they don't necessarily feel comfortable asking mom and dad. And so they're more likely to start asking each other these things, or they'll ask me, but then I know the exact 
match within the group. And so I can begin an answer and then like shoot it to Kate, you know, um, Tyler. Tyler. Mm -hmm. Um, and then he can pick it up and then he might share. And then another, another person begins to share. And so, you know, so you really don't do a lot of the problem solving for these. Oh, no. And that's what I want to make sure. But I guide the conversation Mm -hmm. and, you know, do my best to kind of keep them on track. And I check, um, for engagement Mm -hmm. and, um, and the engagement levels are different based on developmental level. And, um, um, you know, I, we write down the things that we think about and talk about on big poster board and we'll circle things that we need to come back to. Um, we'll star things that we need to check on next time. Um, and then put those posters back up the next time that we meet. And then people will be like, oh, so-and-so was dealing with this. I wonder how that turned out. And then that child will go to the, go to the kid with the issue and, then ask. and ask. Yeah. So I keep, I get the ball started and I keep the ball rolling. Yes. Well, so now have you, in all the times that you've been, cause you've been, gosh, our facilitator now for four years, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think yeah. it's been four years. Have you, you know, for those families that may be concerned that, oh, well, my child had no issue, but if I enroll them in this program, I'm worried they're going to start having issues because they're going to be thinking about every little transgression. Do you really have a concern about that? Because I really see it more and I don't sit in there because understand my kids will participate and it's not fun for them if mom is part of the program. So I try and be very hands off. But do you feel like, um, you know, that a parent needs to have a concern that their kid might be completely, totally fine, but they're going to come to sibling spotlight and some of the other kids' issues are now all of a sudden going to become their own or, you know what I'm saying? Because I think that's what it is, is I've had parents flat out say, I don't want my child coming because they're fine just right now. And if we bring them, I'm just worried that other kids' projections of their problems are going to then project. And so then we're going to have problems that we never had before. Do you feel like there's a concern of that? I understand that concern. I understand it too. And I don't ever have an answer for it, which is why I'm loving talking to you about it. So I would recommend that you um, give it a shot or come watch us in action because it it's not like these these kids sit around and complain about their sibling. Oh, no. It's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. And it's really just problem solving and visiting and talking and laughing and playing games and goofing around and finding camaraderie. Um, we're not on couches, you know, in a room looking at each other in a big circle yeah. for two hours. That does not work with with most people yeah. and it certainly doesn't work with children yeah, it's very play-based really absolutely they don't even think they're working yeah um they're just there having fun and feeling mm-hmm. special because that's the yes. whole point is you make them all feel very special and mm-hmm. cared for oh yes and then they start having those relationships and they really look forward to seeing one another mm-hmm. so when we're talking about this mid-range let's go back um because i meant to ask so what are things concerned so when you how would you know if you have a mid-range kids anywhere from what we decided what nine to thirteen what would be concerns like if you have a kiddo red flag things you might be looking for that kind of indicates your child might need someone to talk to in a program Mm -hmm. like this might be helpful. Um, short temperedness with, with family members. Um, often when we, when humans bottle things up, uh, they tend to come out in unexpected ways to the point where so-and-so just finished the milk and now my whole day is ruined. Sure. Yeah. And so very small problems feel very big. And so if you're, if you're seeing a pattern like that, I would encourage, I would encourage parents to, to find out because it's always bigger. It's, it's never just about the milk. No, it's, it's always bigger at that age. They're also starting to want and need, um, Equity and fairness with chores around the house. Yeah, that's a big many one. of many of our kiddos will be like, will you know, come in and and children do speak in absolutes. And he never helps, and he gets away with everything. He and, never you know, has to take the garbage out. Exactly, I have to do all the heavy lifting. Right, and so, um, but the families who use like a like a list or a weekly chore chart, and whether you know, if each kid has three jobs on the list, no matter what those jobs are, it feels fair. Yeah. So, well, so here's my question in order to 
create some of that um, equality from their perspective, involving them in how you divide up the projects or how, wh- how do you feel like we could make this chore list more equal and see if you can, would, I mean, is that something to include them in the process of? Oh, sure. I mean, we have to do that too. We finally had to move to a system when we clean the house. Um, I just basically started, you know, like um, doing painter's tape in the living room, essentially designating different areas. Cause what happens is Caleb will just walk around and be very creative about doing a whole lot of nothing. Oh, I picked mm-hmm. up one gum wrapper yes, and that took 25 minutes. And meanwhile, everybody in 25 minutes, everybody else has done all the work. So we section off an area where it's like, nobody touched this section. Mm-hmm. And so Caleb, if it takes you five minutes, that's great. If it takes you five hours, well, then I guess that's your choice, but no one is to touch it because mm-hmm. he is to do an equal part. And so that's a good idea. And, and that was, that was actually like the epiphany moment where it's like, you know, for him too, because, you know, he's a master of being able to just take for forever. And then by the time you look, Oh, look, there's nothing else to do. Well, how yes. clever of you, Caleb. Um, <laughs> and I will tell you what's funny is very often Caleb's still struggling to get his stuff done. And one of them will just be like, okay, well, I got mine done in like 15 minutes. Like I'll mm-hmm. do a couple of things for you. And so they do do that, but they don't have to, it's not expected. Um, and, and so that kind of helped with, cause you're absolutely right. Job equality is a big deal for mm-hmm. um, these young people. And so that was kind of, once we started doing that, it was just like, you know, I also, because, you know, Caleb struggles so much, you know, like, um, Caleb's version of cleaning the table and what the actual true definition of cleaning off the table mm-hmm. looks like. Um, so I finally gave him the checklist, like step number one, put all the dirty dishes in the sink where everybody else kind of knows how to clean the table. He yeah. didn't. And everybody was getting frustrated with him. You know, he gets, he cleaned the table and it sucks. Like I would never be able to get away with like, cleaning a table like that. You're right. So mm-hmm. we did the whole like, okay, step one, all the dishes. I mean, yeah. so it might be 13 steps, but it's like, look around for paper. Don't forget to check the floor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because napkins get on the floor. And so that also really helped the kids' perspective too, because now Caleb, we just have to go to his respective cheat sheet for how it has to get done. Because again, I can just say, well, Caleb doesn't understand blah, 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 blah. It builds resentment because it's like, oh, he doesn't mm-hmm. know he has autism. So he doesn't, can I pretend like I don't understand? Um, so now we have the cheat sheet of how to clean off a table, how to like, you know, and then it was too, here was the next thing, how you clean off the table. This checklist actually can apply to how you clean off the TV table. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that was a whole epiphany for Caleb too. It's like, oh, you mean it's the same system? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like I'm, I described an issue or a problem or something that I've experienced with these kiddos and you began to share systems and routines that work in your home. That's exactly what the rest of these kiddos yes. do. And so... And because of the varying ages, if we are, you know, if a nine-year-old is discussing a frustration, it, there's going to be a 13-year-old who dealt with that two years ago. Yes. And so just like we did, comfortable and visiting and talking, the, the kids are too. They do it too. They help each other so much. Yeah. They're so cool. Yeah. yeah. They really They're are. really cool kids. So let's talk about our older kids because we have, we've had kids up to 17 actually turning 18 into the program. So when we have these kids between 13 and 18, how do they participate in the program? Largely the same as the other kids or does that look different? They are mentors. And so um, their responsibilities are to watch for and keep engagement. If somebody is off to the side and, you know, not joining in, um, go over and invite And if they say no, maybe just find a way to sit down and visit. So, you know, they are still included, Mm -hmm. but they're not necessarily doing what we're doing or, um, but we'll have multiple activities around. And so it takes, it takes more than me to keep everyone happy and safe. Because you have what, 25 kids in the sibling spotlight? And they're busy and they're happy and they're silly and they're hyper and I wind them up and we have a good time. And so I really rely on my mentors to keep the flow. Um, And they're really good about reading the other kids and knowing when someone's uh having an off day is what I noticed. Absolutely. When they see someone sitting off to the side or they see someone just not quite being their normal bubbly self, Mm -hmm. they're really tuned in. Yes. um, And really naturally migrate over there to do all those things that you just talked Mm -hmm. about, which I think is really impressive for Mm -hmm. young people. So now how we've had kids, some of our kids have been in that are in this range, the 13 to the 17 range. 
they've been in this program for a long time. So they started mm-hmm. out as young people and have just yeah. stuck with the program over the years. But we've had kids that have just dropped in. Parents felt that it was something that their kiddo would either enjoy or would get something useful out mm-hmm. of. Sometimes it's parents are just thinking, oh, well, they're in high school and they're looking for something to volunteer their time doing. And we're like, hey, that's great because we always need helpers, right? But we find that those kids that are just there to Mm -hmm. volunteer because they just need to do something for school and check a box end up actually having quite, they get a lot more out of it than just volunteering their time. Yes. And, you know, when we start to talk about this age group, um, they're no longer arguing with brothers and sisters over chores and they're no longer sad because they don't have all the same appointments and they're no longer um, ready to fight to the death over the front seat or the back seat or the preferred seat, whether it's in your home or in your car, they're typically beyond that point. And now they're beginning to think more in line with a, like a parent or an adult. I often hear our older, our older members kind of wonder and talk aloud and feel concerned about What's going to happen when your parents are too elderly to take care of your brother or sister? Yeah. So, you know, they, they will talk to each other about that a lot. And, and, you know, and then you hear, well, we've got aunts and we've got uncles and we've, you know, and they'll start to talk about their family unit a little bit, but that's concerning. And just because you've got an aunt doesn't mean you truly believe that that aunt could take very good care of your brother yeah. or your sister. And so, they begin to have the grown up worries and they're looking for privacy. Yeah. So I, a lot of times we just, we have 14, 15 year old people who simply want like a pop lock on their door, the easy bathroom kind that a parent could pick with a paper clip. It's, you know, yeah. but just something to guarantee some privacy within the home. Yeah. Uh, so privacy is a big one for these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't gonna, necessarily mean that they're wanting to withdraw. No, not at all. Space to recharge and be oh, yeah. quite alone. Yes. Quite and alone. Which yes. I tell you what, as a parent, we should all sympathize with that feeling, mm-hmm. right? When we all like to have a little pop thing on our door. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, the concerns get, they become more adult yeah. at that age, even if they're not, they're nowhere near adult. They're little mini adults because often they've had to grow up just a little faster than the rest of the world and they've seen more and they know more and therefore they worry more. And just because they aren't telling you about their worries doesn't mean they don't have them. And I think that's the biggest thing is, is that, um, you know, again, they could be the best students at school. They can be, you know, the delightful little rule followers. That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that there isn't that internal those internal thoughts, feelings, anxieties about these adult issues. And again, too, they do have to grow up faster. I mean, that is just a fact. Um, Let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, because part of the reason why you're one of my favorite people in the world is you have a lot of like trauma training because Uh of the nature of your, your special ed teacher, but you Mm -hmm. work within a a school that a lot of your littles um, experienced trauma. Yes. And so you actually have done a lot of personal development on trauma mm-hmm. when it comes to children. Yes. And so I want to make sure that we're talking about that because um, when we're talking about having a child with a disability, um, I mean, we can be, we, we are fantastic parents. Let's just validate that right now. We're all fantastic. <laughs> yes, parents. absolutely. We are. We try our best. We love them with all of our heart. Um, but, you know, Sometimes we can't control some of the things that happen within our home because of our ch- the nature of our child's disability. Um, and so trauma is there and present. So trauma doesn't necessarily have to be that they witnessed something gruesome, horrific, or they were, you know, physically abused. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Right. Uh, it can just be. So let's talk about trauma as it relates to like this population, because I just want to make sure people understand some of what were, you know, trauma... <laughs> And that's really hard. Trauma can just, you know, sometimes we have kids that just have really explosive behaviors and having Mm -hmm. to witness that. And just even sometimes we have to physically restrain our children because they become a danger to themselves or other people in the home. Um, 
but, or even just that fear of those close calls where you're in a parking lot and they take off and they're a near hit. Uh Um, There's a variety of different ways to experience trauma. Uh Um, Do you consider, and I don't, and I don't know the answer to this. I'm asking because you just have so much knowledge. Um, I feel like our kids have to sacrifice a lot of their childhood because you can't, you know, go and do the same things that a, other family can do. And while be it doesn't sound like it's traumatic for, I mean, it, it, it's a little traumatic for a child in the sense that, you know, you start feeling like you don't have a normal childhood because, you know, we can't, we can't go and do these X, Y, and Z activities because I have a brother or sister with autism. Does that Mm -hmm. in and of itself cause a little bit of trauma or like, how would you rate that? Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's hard. It is hard. And you know, the, the ACEs checklist does have to do with, um, with neglect or seeing, seeing, um, domestic violence, having domestic violence in your home, um, physical violence, violence sometimes happens in our homes by virtue of having a child that has big behaviors. Right. Um, So while it's, everybody's different and everybody's unique and it it can be, it absolutely, it can be traumatic to see, um, somebody hit your mom. Uh, somebody bite your dad or being and, afraid that you know oh i don't you know because that's the thing you don't want to mm-hmm. set them off because then yeah. you know you're tiptoeing kind of essentially mm-hmm. you're living in a house where you have to tiptoe around someone because you don't want to accidentally you know tip the scale and then yes. cause an outburst and so that can cause um anxiety anxiety yeah because heightened just, levels of anxiety yeah. it is very it's like the deer in the headlight look <laughs> pardon me i'm feeling that all the time so you're never, your body really isn't truly at rest, yeah. even in your, what's supposed to be your nice, safe, comfortable place at home. Um, Which is why having those bedroom spaces that are their own, where it has like a lock so that that way they can be in their comfortable place where they don't have to worry about mm-hmm. setting somebody off or being quiet or, mm-hmm. you know, just a place to unwind and try and get mm-hmm. that anxiety level down is huge. Yes. If it's possible. I mean, yes. Amazing. And you know, <clears throat> the more and more I learn about, um, trauma, um, the more I understand the, the, that is, it takes a physical toll on your body. And one of my favorite books is called the body keeps the score because you'll, you will just hold it within yourself for, a very long time if you don't seek help or get help or or try strategies with mindfulness and different things mm-hmm. it it leads to ill health yeah. the thing about it too is is that over time i mean just like with an adult things that you potentially when you have unresolved issues with trauma um you know and then there's shame cuz you also start feeling like shame because you have these big feelings you start feeling guilty because it's like i really like hate my brother because look at all the things that he's done to my family or also too your mom and dad end up getting a divorce because Mm -hmm. it was just too hard to have to live with your brother or sister that has a disability and then you start feeling bad because you have those feelings and Mm -hmm. then that feeling of shame and guilt is just i'm a i'm a guilt person like i my whole life you know it doesn't matter you know, just, it's amazing how much guilt we hold on to uh-huh. and shame we feel because we have these internal feelings and you just feel like a horrible person, uh-huh. um, for feeling those feelings. And so, and I think things that we get concerned is when we started this program, problems that I was having was I was, I know so many families that have kiddos with autism or other disabilities, and then they kind of fall off my radar for a while. And then when I finally get reconnected to them, you know, they share with me the fact that, oh, that we had to just put everything on hold because my, you know, older daughter or son ended up with a drug problem mm-hmm. or they were running away from home yes. or promiscuity or life threatening yes. eating disorders. And um, it's just, you know, experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it is hard. I mean, when you're raising a child with a disability and then when some of these things go unresolved, I guess, or, un, you know, like, you know, dealt with, you know, like the right channels mm-hmm. found to, in order to support your other child, that things are manifesting in big life threatening ways. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest fears is, you know, human trafficking is a real deal. 
well, some of these girls are so desperate to get away from home because mm-hmm. life is hard. And, you know, it just makes me afraid because they're wanting to launch and get away from this family dynamic because, you know, again, they don't feel a safe place where they can talk, communicate. They feel guilty about feeling resentful and anger and sad. Um, and all of these things, um, you know, I hope that, you know, my hope is, is that the sibling spotlight program and other programs out there around the world that are meant for neurotypical siblings, um, you know, it's really intended to try and give these kiddos a safe place where we can start talking about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really think that Ronnie, you do a fantastic job of doing that. Um, we've had some big, without going into specifics, um, we've had some really big topics breached or brought up during sibling spotlight. That's like, wow, like big feelings, big problems. And you're absolutely right. What I love is, is that, um, you start the ball rolling and you keep it rolling, but it's mm-hmm. really the other kids that are offering suggestions, mm-hmm. um, and they're brainstorming how to well, help. One and another. then I, you know, I monitor the suggestions too, because, you know, often they, will give a suggestion that is absolutely not helpful, (laughs) you know, so I'm there. I facilitate. That's what I do. That's what you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just think people could gain so much from programs like this. And well, and the thing is, what's great about this program too, is it's a once a month program. And so then the next month we come in, you pull out some of those boards and those brainstorming ideas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we were talking about, you know, somebody had a concern about this, Yeah, you know, like, and you follow back up with them so that they have a place to do it. Um, Obviously COVID kind of um, kiboshed our program this year. And so we tried to go to a virtual space, but it just did not. We did the best we could. I I think the thing that I was most surprised about was um, one of our mentors who tended to be kind of quiet during, during our monthly meetings, meetings, during our physical meetings. He was just absolutely a chatterbox during zoom stuff. I was shocked. He was just, you know, it, it was interesting. I saw a completely different side Very of him. outgoing. Yeah. And kind of a leader too in some mm-hmm. of those um, Zoom meetings too, yeah. from what I understand. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, it's important to keep the connection. Hi, I'm here. We're here. Are you okay? Things going well? What's going on? Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't at all what it can be when it's in person. And, you know, very often well, you know, they talk about things that are important to them. And so it's not always autism driven. No, It's just whatever happens to be happening in their life. Yeah. Good news, hard news, everything in between. Yeah. Um, and sometimes their biggest problem is just, you know, it has nothing to do with autism and that's okay too. Just as valuable. Um, yeah. February is the month in which and every year that I've done this, kids have cabin fever. And they are ready to have less time with, with their family. Yes. They, they, you know, when Spokane winters are hard. Yeah, they are. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I hear more um, frustration, like surface level frustration yeah. in February than I do any other month of the year. And then also we figured out too, Holly was not your helper this year because unfortunately sibling spotlight hand, happened the day after uh, Halloween. And <laughs> oh my gosh, it was the worst. You were just like, never again. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, if anybody's listening here thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to start my own like program. I think you absolutely should, but just words are wise. Do not ever have your monthly sibling spotlight yeah. the day after Halloween. Oh, those poor babies. Oh and my gosh. I, you know, it felt nothing, like a, nothing oh. autism uh, related no. happened that day. You were just managing hyperness. Hyperness everybody. and exhaustion. They, yes. It was like they were on over. Yes. But, you know, I'm like, oh, what? What in the heck <laughs> happened here, Holly? And I was yeah. like, oh, oh, no. Oh. It, seemed to be, I, it was November 1st. It seemed like a great idea at the well, time. We always do the first Saturday the first of the month. Saturday of the month. Why would we break a pattern? Right. Well, if it ever pops again, we're going to break that pattern. Oh, we're definitely breaking that pattern. Oh, it was hilarious. You know, and I'm a teacher. I know what to expect. Yes. Oh, that's so true. You know, I didn't walk in there blind or, you know, but. It just never occurred to any of us that that was actually a consideration. (laughs) Oh, it was was so funny. Yeah. Oh, but they do have a good time. And I will tell you too, like I said, we've had a lot of the kids that have been in the program for a really long time. We have kids that will pop in one year. But then sports are really important to them because mm-hmm. we do meet on a Saturday. 
Um, so sports are also really important. And so they take a year off and then they come back. But that's the thing where I think it's interesting is, is that some of the kids are start the program because their parents make them do it or, yes. Hey, we're going to do this. I've met those kids. Yep. It lasts a while. It does. That feeling yeah. might last one or two sessions, yeah. but then they're coming back because they've made friends and it's just something fun to do. And it's all mm-hmm. about them. And as friends, they don't get to see no. on a regular basis. That's exactly it. And so I would say that, you know, we might have had to, you know, like it, it was kind of, you know, first couple times until they found their click, their group of people, their people that they connected with. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, a lot of anxiety. It's like, I don't know any of these people. I don't want to do it. And then beyond that, it's kind of like, oh, a sibling spotlight. Yay. Like, mm-hmm. let's do it. Um, the other thing too is always what surprises me is how many of our older kids stay in because, you know, a lot of them were started in early. So they were, you know, like participants, they were enrolled in the program. And then there was that badge of honor because now I'm a mentor. And we yeah. really try and make that be a really important job because mm-hmm. that was the problem that we have with Tyler is that, you know, we could take him to counseling. Again, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You can take a kid to counseling, but you can't make them talk. So it's interesting that he would never do that for himself because, again, he felt like he was being he was betraying me by Mm -hmm. talking and complaining about, you know, like things at home. But by saying to him, like, hey, Tyler, you know, like, would you want is there any way you could be a mentor at Sibling Spotlight? Because there are some kids, I know you're fine. You're like perfect. You're the picture of perfectness. Yes. Um, and he needed to hear that yeah. in order to really get on board oh, yeah. and come and be the helper. And yeah. he had just as many yes, he worries. Did. And- he did. Well, but it was interesting. And we're going to go ahead and share because Tyler says it's fine. Um, but the thing was too, you actually had to come talk to me as a mama, not as Holly at Isaac Foundation, because both the kids were in the program. Tyler was in a mentor and Kelly was a six-year-old participant. And um, Kelly would have feelings that were very valid because again, I shared with you her meltdown in the car about yeah. the fact that she needed a hospital and um, and Tyler was really resent. So he, every time Kelly would share, Tyler was like, that's not the way it is. Like, stop talking about that. Or, and he was just slapping shutting her, down, her down, shutting her down because yeah. Tyler is, you know, I, I adore my son. And one of the things I love is, you know, he is, he is, will always be my strongest, more, most voracious defender of all things, mm-hmm. whether I am absolutely wrong. And I just robbed a bank. He would defend it to his dying day. Right. And I love that about him. But it was really unhealthy for Kelly because she has she had she is entitled. And it was good for Tyler, too, because he needed to understand how this affects you and how you deal with it is going to be different than your sister. Yes, absolutely. And she needs to be able to talk about it. And trust me when I tell you that it doesn't hurt my feelings. The whole reason why you guys are in this program is because I want you mm-hmm. to just go in there and let it all go because it doesn't hurt me. I mm-hmm. want you to feel like it's OK. But it was really hard for Tyler um, because he was just like, no, no, no. And and he's always really worried about, well, what will people think? Because you're, you know, like she's, you know, Kelly and she's the daughter of the Isaac foundation. It's like, I don't care what anybody. Half thinks. the time the kids don't even make that connection. They, don't even they know. truly don't. They don't. I yeah. would say 95% of them don't even know Kelly's connection to Isaac foundation and that she's somehow is connected. Yeah. Um, but I told Tyler, I said, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks about my kids, me, or how that reflects. We have to do mm-hmm. us. And first and foremost, we have to be our best selves and our healthiest selves. Mm-hmm. So I don't care if she went in there and told, you know, my worst parenting moment, which I'm sure she probably has. If I'm being totally I, I don't know. They, I don't I, think so. It's just, so. it's typical daily it annoyances for a seven, eight year old child. And you're trying to say that because as a teacher, you probably hear all sorts of wonderful things about a kid's day or well, just yeah. what happens. And they go know. home and they do the exact same thing. They tell on me, oh, yeah, you know, sure. it is a two way street yeah, for I mean, sure. That's the thing. Like Kelly was very good about going show and tell. It was like talking about mom's favorite alcoholic choice. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, it's my mom's birthday and she had a big bottle of like, and so anyway, oh. and so, of course Tyler is just like, oh gosh, it's just so embarrassing. She's telling all your deepest, darkest secrets. And it's like, that's not no. my deepest, darkest secret. Right. And you know what? I remember when that happened and he, it was just like I explained before. She is in the never get the front seat frame of mind. And he is in the, can I take Caleb to college with me when I go? Yes. And that's exactly what he's planning. And he is already making plans that, hey, Caleb, when, um, you know, when you graduate high school, like, uh, you know, I think I want to live in California. How do you, how do you yeah. feel about coming with me to California to live with me? And he's just kind of like, oh, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, Tyler, that's not your responsibility. But in Tyler's <laughs> mind, yes. it is his responsibility. Yes. And, um, and that's part of why I like the sibling spotlight is, is that through this, 
I hope he gets exposed to other people and realize that, you know, hey, this isn't my responsibility. There's lots of other people that do different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever break Tyler. He's just, you know. He... Tyler is phenomenal. He's the oh, he best brother so you could ever have. Caleb is oh, he, so lucky. Caleb will tell you that Kelly's Tyler lucky is his too, best even friend. if she doesn't notice now and then. Yes. Uh, that you know, they they are they are blessed to have him. Yeah. He's wonderful. He I'm really a is. super and Tyler fan. You, he is Caleb's. Caleb will tell you he's Tyler's my best friend in this whole world. I mean, aside from his dog sticks. I mean, that would be his number one best friend, right. this dog. But Tyler definitely is his um his number one best friend and and I love that. And the thing about it is, is that Kelly loves Caleb also ferociously, but she will hold him accountable for more stuff than Tyler will. You know what I mean? Tyler definitely gives him a path um, where Kelly wants to hold him more accountable, but yet they will absolutely, Tyler and Kelly will hold each other accountable to the letter, whereas Caleb, they'll let it slide. Um, So I think it's funny how they both work. Um, They both definitely take care of Caleb, but they have Mm -hmm. a different different ways of doing it. Yeah. Well, and they can complain about their brother, but they're oh. not going to let anybody else in the world do it. No, no, no. And that's, I have a, I have 25 little advocates in that program. Yeah. They know exactly how to and when to advocate and they are learning. That is a, that is a skill progression. Yeah. You don't wake up one day and know how to best advocate for a loved one. Um, but you learn by meeting people and talking and experiencing issues and, and growing and, and becoming a stronger sibling, yeah. which is what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's exactly. One other thing I wanted to touch on is that, um, and I think that you could implement this at home. And I think it would actually, because this was a big aha moment for me when you implemented this in Sibling Spotlight. Um, and this was when you did the circles. Remember the circle mm-hmm. where they had the, it was a pie chart. And so we yeah. labeled mm-hmm. and we kept it on the refrigerator and she had a little stars that she would put in the different sections. So help me refresh my memory. Cause I was going to pull it out. Well, It was, it was um, based on like a wellness chart that, you know, and it comes back to mindfulness. So if you have big worries and big concerns, it's proven that, um, using mindfulness strategies can help with feelings of of um, frustration and, and anxiety and regret and guilt. So it was based on that. And I think it was chunked into four or five different five, things. So there was family time. So anytime they would spend time or they felt like they spent time doing um, activities or things in these different sections of the pie, they would put a star, a sticker. Yeah. And so one of it was family time. So if they spent, if they felt like in that week, they spent like good quality family time, like Kelly would put three there. One of it was friends, which was actually the one that was the most um, interesting for me. Um, some of it was like hobbies, um, sports, and then and school. Uh, school. school. Yeah. yeah. So they would go through and she would put stickers on like when she thinks about her day or her week, um, put stickers in the areas that she felt like she was, you know, like she filled her bucket, if you will. And it was interesting to me because what I found was the one that she never had any stars in was friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, and so that's a wake up call to families totally. too, and a wake up call to the child themselves. Like, wow, how come I yeah. don't ever get together? Yeah. Or physical activities, I think was one of them or yeah. Yeah, health, health. health was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those were the two where it was like, like the health and then the friends were ones mm-hmm. where she couldn't really think of times where she got to do those like health or physical activities or friendship time. And it was yeah. really an awareness thing for me because whether that's true or not true, I didn't take it defensively. That was her perspective. Like her perspective for that week or day was that I didn't see any of my friends or I didn't get to do anything that was just like good for my body. And so then, you know, I needed to be open to the fact that, you know, I do need to spend more time, you know, seeking out like a play date, even though it's a, you know, it's a shit show having people over at our house. You know, there are just as many people out there that would love to have Kelly come over to their house. And yeah, and it feels I was always raised where it's like it's impolite to invite yourself over. I just started putting it out there that, you know, hey, Kelly really enjoys your daughter. Um, You know, we are a family where we have a special needs child. And so it's really hard to have, you know, there's so many of us because, you know, we're also a blended family now, but there's, you know, it's really hard to have people over. And I don't know what you're comfortable with either because we also have boys. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, when she's inviting little girls over and then of course I have a house full of, you know, boys and teenage boys, I just put it out there, you know, they, Kelly would love to play with your child. But, um, sometimes, you know, having 
kids come over here isn't really that relaxing or enjoyable because there's mm-hmm. just so many boys and also we're a special needs family. And that just opened it up. Like, but if there was a time you wanted to meet at a park or yeah. you wanted to go and do something, or even if it was, you know, convenient for her to come over to play with your kid, like, just let me know. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you what, like, it felt like I was inviting her over, but I led with that. We could go and do something. Yeah. Um, where they could get together or, you know, if it's just comfortable to you to have her come over there to play, I'm fine with that also. And so that was, but it was because of your wellness mm-hmm. um, circle that it really made me think, when was the last time this little girl, ha- aside from a cousin, which is mm-hmm. still fun, but it's not the same as having yeah. a friend from class come over to your house. She just never really had those opportunities because it was just hard. And I just get really anxious about, you know, like just, okay. So one of the boys is going to just, you know, like, get rowdy and it might, you know, then they're going to go home and talk to their mom about, Oh my gosh, it's total chaos over there, which it is. Um, <laughs> but just having that. And again, I was just raised where you never invite yourself over uh-huh. to somebody else's house. I just had to put that behind me and just say, Hey, you know, compliment, compliment, compliment. Hey, here are some options that we can go and do something in the community. Or yeah. if it's just more comfortable for maybe her to come over to your house to play, she's welcome here, but you know, we just, we have a lot going on. And every single time, once I did that with like three or four of her friends, it's been so great because now these families will say, Hey, I don't know what you have planned for like trick or treating, but she's more than welcome to come. We'll take her trick or treating and you can either pick her up or we can drop her off. And uh-huh. that has been so great because part of me wants to be selfish. It's like, no, I want to do the trick or treating. But reality of that is, is we'll go to seven houses and then Caleb's done. Uh-huh. And then it's no fun for Kelly anymore because now it's just me and her out there going yeah. trick or treating. Whereas if she can go with, I had to get over some of that too, uh-huh. but I did. Um, it's been really good. Um, good. and I'm glad that worked. It really did. So I, and, and I feel like that we can do I, that again next year too. Well, and I say, say that I'm throwing this out there because if you're listening to this, you know, it's not, you can go probably online and Google something like that, but it literally is just a big construction circle. Uh-huh. Um, and you can sit down with your kiddo and just think about different areas that you want to like, just kind of contemplate mindfulness about uh-huh. how you spend your time during the week. Um, so you wouldn't even have to have someone wonderful like you that helps them have conversation because they would bring their little circle back to sibling spotlight and they would share and, and then they would, again, troubleshoot for one another, how they might get more physical activity or health, yeah. focus on their health or spend more family time. And so I loved that, but it was just, it was just an eye opening thing for me where I was just kind of like, and again, key factor is whether I perceive it to be yeah. the truth, yes. this is her mm-hmm. truth. And so yep. that's what was, um, I think the biggest aha moment for me. So good. Anywho, so that was great. Well, I think, did we cover pretty much all of sibling spotlight? Like I said, I, I think always so. kind of hint at sibling spotlight. I've had other guests come on and they talk about sibling spotlight and I have been promising for now a year. Hey, don't worry. We're going to actually have a podcast about our sibling spotlight program. Um, people have asked me before, is this something where, you know, like you can, um, ask, like, if you're not in the Spokane area, is this program available other places? The reality of it is, is that no, it's not in, in, but anybody could really replicate it. It's just, there's really no fine science behind Mm -hmm. this. We um, originally had looked at becoming certified in SIB shops because that is an actual like curriculum that you can become certified to be a facilitator. Um, but it, here's the thing. It's, um, it's not as engaging and riveting, I think. And that was part of my problem with that program originally when we looked at it. Not to say it's not, you know, there's not people that are getting some great stuff out of it. My problem was for my family is, is that it didn't, it was, I could not convince my son, Tyler, who was older, that that was going to be a fun time to spend um, with people. And so again, we morphed Sibling Spotlight in a way where we were using them as mentors and make it play-based, um, you know, game activity kind of where you're, again, you're starting the conversations, get the ball and you're keeping the ball rolling, but you're helping them to facilitate it amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. And that has just been, um, you know, cause I've had kids who have participated in both programs and, um, you know, the kids largely have come back to, you know, that the sibling spotlight structure just in that it's, um, they feel like they have more of a role in it. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, just every, you just never know what's going to happen too, I guess is the thing. Well, it can't feel like work. It's yeah. a Saturday for goodness sakes. Yes. It's, it's their day off. Yes. So it cannot feel like work no. and it can't be forced yes. and it can't be so structured yes. that there's no room to wiggle or breathe. Yes. And that was, I guess where it is. It's very structured. 
And um, it's, yeah, there's, yes, that program is very structured and it's a lot of talking. Yes. A lot of sitting on couches and talking. Yeah. And while there's a place for that. Yes. You're not going to get the most that you can get the biggest bang for your three hours when everybody's taking one turn talking. Which, okay. Which reminds me, because we joke about this all the time. When does the most talking take place? It's not necessarily during the game times. When do they, when do they just start chatting and opening up and just like, it's usually when they're, when they're eating, eating. Yes. yeah, eating or making food. They yes. love oh, to they make love- salsa. They yes. love to make trail mix. They, you know, anything that I can give them ingredients and say, oh, yes. make it your own. That's their favorite thing. Isn't it funny how it's kind of like around a kitchen table tends to yeah. be where a lot of talking happens. And so Absolutely. then they play, 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 they have their snack, they talk, 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 they'll bake, they'll do all sorts of stuff. So what I guess the point is, is if you only have access to sieve shops, I would say take advantage of those. Oh, yes. Um, but understand that um, sibling spotlight, which is what we have called our program since the beginning, there is no curriculum out there that we can be like, oh, yeah, you know, here's the here's mm-hmm. the roadmap. But, you know, really the key is getting a group of kids together, having someone that I, I really do stress that having someone with your talents is very important because you have really. Um, without you, our program wouldn't be, I don't believe as successful as it is because you really understand children and again, you you help them naturally, like you get it going Mm -hmm. and then you're just helping them, you know, like keep the ball rolling, but you also will dial it in when somebody would suggest something that's absolutely preposterous. (laughs) Um, but that's important, but you know, you're thinking about how you throw that out. And even when you give them choices about, Hey, we're going to go on a field trip next month. Let's brainstorm everything that we would want to possibly do. Well, you know, if somebody kid threw out, I want to climb Mount Everest next week, you'd be like, let's put it on the list. All right. 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 All ideas are good. All ideas are good. And so I think that's really the biggest thing is is you need to find someone that having a parent do it is never going to work. I'm just going to say it right there right now. I have been very hands off on the program. And really, this is your baby. You just Mm -hmm. kind of guide us and uh, we get we provide the snacks and the supplies and the Mm -hmm. crafts and the thing and the space. Um, But really. Having a facilitator is something that I highly recommend and it cannot be a parent because here's the thing, parents, the kids are not going to talk if they think their parents are around. We uh-huh. won't even let parents stay in the building because yeah. it's really important for them to feel like, Hey, my mom's not lurking around the corner and this is never going to get back to her mm-hmm. or him or dad. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of power in that. So we don't even allow parents to congregate in the building and that's important. Um, the other thing too, is if you are thinking about starting your own group and you want to find a facilitator, pay them. I value your time. And so I'm not, you know, so our most expensive program is um, our sibling spotlight program. And then of course our weighted blanket program. And I don't regret either one of those things because um, you you, pay your talent. And if you want someone to be committed to your program and be dialed into your kids and really want it to be the best that it can be, pay your people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we had early on when we first started it, we had some volunteers and that was really lovely that they volunteered, but it didn't really start becoming sibling spotlight until we actually allocated funds mm-hmm. to pay a facilitator. And you were mm-hmm. worth every single penny. I'm just telling you that. Thank you so, very much, Holly. I agree. Well, I mean, do you thank agree? you for the opportunity to work with them. They oh, are fun. They, they are cool. They love you so Oh, they're much. so great. Yeah. And I miss them so much. I miss them in a regular summer. Yeah. But to not be able to um, hang out and play and yeah. check up and just be Give with hugs. them. Give yeah. I haven't hugs. seen them since the first Saturday in March. I know. I know. And that's just it. We're all kind of dying just because we just are yeah. missing our connection. We're missing our tribe. Yeah. And they're missing it too. So anyway, I just wanted to tell you just publicly that we just absolutely adore you. And again, if you decide you want to try and do something like this, like I said, facilitator is crucial uh-huh. um, with, you know, kind of your, you know, expertise, just working with child, children, Ch- child development is really key. Um, mm-hmm. and then pay them because you, it's just, you guys are worth every single penny. So anyway, with that, I think we covered pretty much everything about something spotlight. So. We run our program September through May. And, um, a couple of things that we also do is, um, we try on the, towards the end of the season, we get them out for field trips and we give oh, them yeah. input. Um, two things. One is we take everybody out to do something that they may never be able to do because they have a brother or sister with a disability and it just may not ever be feasible. So we, um, you know, we set aside funds so that we can take them out, 
spend some money so that they can do something fun. And then we also implemented last year at your suggestion is we then second the, the, the next event that we do is we just take the mentors out, just and the spoil mentors them rotten because they've worked so rotten. hard. Yes. And so, and they really appreciated that last year. And so I'm so glad that you suggested that, but, um, you know, they really feel felt validated too. Mm-hmm. And we're excited to come back. Unfortunately, then, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't get to do the whole, we didn't get to do that at the end of this season, but right. I want to open when we can finally come back together. I want to open with, um, like it just a big pizza party, even at project ID, just getting back together, getting on the same page, eating some pizza and, um, making plans for, for the year, for the calendar year with them. And you do that a lot. You actually really get their input and kind of get, um, interests and Hey, what, you know, like share with me your ideas of what you would like to do cooking. Like they love to cook. Yeah. Um, and so those are things that we all listen to them and we help them kind of direct kind of what some of the activities are. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important too, is giving them a voice in some of the things that they do. Yep. So, for sure. Yeah. And then I tap into those talents Oh, totally. because you know, I, there's, we've got some good, great artists. Yes. I can draw stick men. Oh yeah. I can't, you know, right. so somebody will run a drawing table yeah. and they do all sorts of fun stuff. Well, again, thank you for coming. Thanks I'm for go ahead and me. wrap up this podcast. I'm going to put some more information about if you're in the Spokane area and you're interested in Sibling Spot, well, we actually have it open now and are taking um, applications to enroll your child. Again, it's six through 17, 18. We've even had college kids that have been mm-hmm. part of the program if they're here in Spokane and, and want to be part of the program. Um, so if you are in the Spokane region and you want to do an application, it's available online. I'll put the link so you can find it. Um, but with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.